Move by Mamma Mia is the exercise app for anybody, anywhere. And in case you missed it, we dropped a brand new stretching collection that can be used to improve mobility and bookend your favourite sweat sessions. Mamma Mia subscribers get unlimited access to Move and we drop new workouts every single week. If you're on the hunt for movement that makes you feel good, head to move.mamamia.com.au and use the code MOVE10 to get $10 off a yearly subscription. You're listening to a Mamma Mia podcast. Mamma Mia acknowledges the traditional owners of land and waters that this podcast is recorded on. From Mamma Mia, hi, I'm Claire Murphy. Welcome to The Quickie, getting you up to speed daily. When it was announced that Stranger Things star Millie Bobby Brown was engaged, there were two very distinct camps in response. One side celebrated the talented young star's pending nuptials. The other cried out for the fact that she's only 19. How could someone so young possibly make a decision that life-altering? But look back a generation or two and you'll find a time where most people got married and maybe even had a kid or two by that age. No one told them they were too young. Today, we're looking at the shift in how we view the age at which we should be getting on with our adult lives and whether that idea that 19 is too young is doing Gen Z a disservice. But first, news headlines for Tuesday, May 16. Bruce Lerman's lawyer says he was angry over claims that he was colluding with Senator Linda Reynolds during the trial into whether Mr Lerman raped Brittany Higgins in Parliament House in 2019. The allegation was raised by Ms Higgins' lawyer Shane Drumgold, who said there was evidence Senator Reynolds sought transcripts of the trial from the defence to tailor her own evidence and was coaching the defence in its cross-examination. But Mr Drumgold, during testimony at the inquiry into the handling of the case last week, said he no longer believed there was any political interference. Senator Reynolds sent a text to Mr Lerman's lawyers asking for the transcripts and giving them advice on texts that possibly existed between Miss Higgins and another colleague that could be revealing. The defence saying they went above their disclosure obligations by revealing the messages to the prosecution. A former fly-in, fly-out worker at a remote mine site in WA has been found guilty of sexually assaulting his female colleague in a case that triggered an inquiry into toxic conditions in the industry. The 37-year-old man was found guilty of raping his colleague in her accommodation at BHP's South Flank Iron Ore Mine in the Pilbara after a night of heavy drinking, where she had been put to bed by a friend after passing out, the jury finding him guilty after four hours of deliberations. This case was one that led to a parliamentary inquiry into the culture of sexual assault and harassment in the mining industry, finding female workers are subjected to anything from verbal abuse to targeted violence. Ukraine has reportedly made significant gains in its attempts to retake the city of Bakhmut, despite the official counteroffensive yet to begin. Since last week, Ukrainian forces have been pushing back Russian troops from the battlefield. The commander of the Ukrainian ground forces saying in a statement that the advance of his troops proves they can move forward and destroy the enemy even in extremely difficult conditions. Meanwhile, Ukrainian President Vladimir Zelensky met with British PM Rishi Sunak in London, signing new pledges of weapons deliveries, Britain offering the under-fire country long-range missiles and drones that can strike at a range of 200 kilometres. 
James Packer has donated $7 million of his own money to help with mental health issues in Australia. Mr Packer said in a statement that it's no secret he has struggled with mental health problems in the past and he is a passionate advocate for finding ways to improve mental health outcomes. It was revealed in 2020 he suffers from bipolar disorder. The money will support research at the University of New South Wales and establish the James Packer Chair in Mood Disorders. Celebrity chef Martha Stewart has become Sports Illustrated's oldest cover star for their swimsuit edition, gracing its front page at age 81. Stewart told the US Today show that she was so nervous at the photo shoot she was shaking, saying it was quite odd to have her picture taken in her swimsuit in front of all those people, but that she liked the end result, Stewart posing in a white one-piece and an orange jacket. Stewart says she doesn't think about her age very much, but was chuffed with being the oldest cover model of the iconic magazine magazine, saying she thinks this moment is kind of historic. That's your latest news headlines in a moment. Today's Deep Dive. At what age did you start to achieve goals that would be considered as a step into adulthood? A group that are commonly referred to as emerging adults, those aged 18 to 29, who are no longer adolescents, but who are not really fully adult yet, are expected to achieve certain milestones in that period. Things like a full-time or at least a stable job, a romantic partner, and financial independence from their parents. But a new concept claims that today's emerging adults are adopting what is being called a slow life strategy a delaying of attaining certain goals that would consider them moved into full-blown adulthood. Like Sydney, who says she knows a person who is definitely taking slow life seriously. I have a friend who I would describe as a non-joiner. They seem to want to achieve all the markers of adulthood, but there's something within them that just holds them back. They want to learn to drive, but the timing has never been right. They comment on attractive people at the pub, but when I suggest they go speak to them, they shut me down. They've never had a partner, let alone been intimate with anyone besides a one-night stand at 21, which they just did for the sake of losing their V-card. They've started three degrees at three different universities and haven't finished any of them. This is despite their crazy smarts. They finished high school with a 95 ATAR without studying at all. They have never had a job that they are passionate about. This is despite all the encouraging and gentle support from myself and our friendship group. They're 27 now and still working part-time. I want to make it clear that I don't judge anyone for not having achieved these markers. My issue is when you can tell someone wants to do these things, but gets in their own way. They have so much potential and I feel like it's being wasted. A UK study by the Department of Education that tracked 16,000 people born between 1989 and 1990 from the age of 14 found that one in eight 26-year-olds are still virgins. In the previous generation, that stat was 1 in 20. Experts say that millennials and Gen Zers have been brought up in a culture of hypersexuality and that may have led to a fear of intimacy. That level of exposure to sexualized content from such a young age impacting on the relationships that are formed later in life. There's also fears of not living up to pornography standards or of being exposed via revenge porn. A study from the US also discovered similar results. After tracking high school students between 1991 and 2017, they found 44% of teenage girls had lost their virginity, compared to 58% 25 years before. The studies suggest that many millennials and Gen Z are too anxious to pursue healthy sex lives, 
that they are instead retreating from intimacy. The 2019 ABC Australia Talk survey found that Gen Z Australians were as sexually active as those aged 75 and over, with 37% reporting having had sex once a month or more. 40% of 18 to 24-year-olds reported they'd never had sex before at all. That number jumps to 67% in those aged 24 to 29. But Latrobe University's National Survey of Australian Secondary Students and Sexual Health Trends, 1992-2018, found that female Year 12 students in 2018 were 11% more likely to have had penetrative sex than their counterparts in 1992. She is also 10% more likely to have had oral sex than a Year 12 in 2002. So the sexual experience of young Aussies doesn't seem to have changed that much. In fact, experts say that if anything, young Australians are experiencing sex with less taboo than previous generations. Young Aussies are also choosing to delay getting their driver's licences. A 2019 Household Income and Labor Dynamics in Australia survey saw a fall from 71% in 2012 to 64.8% in 2016 of men aged 18 and 19 getting their licence. This is a trend also seen in the US, Canada, Sweden, Norway, the UK and Germany. The reasons those choosing not to drive gave ranged from the red tape in the licensing process, having to log 120 hours of supervised driving in some states, being too busy to do it, that owning and maintaining a car was too expensive, and that they're able to rely on others or public transport to get around. So why would they? Some also say they have environmental concerns with owning a carbon-producing vehicle, while others say they're scared about the road toll and adding their names to it. For Laura, it was a whole lot of factors. I am 30 this year. I've had my L's since I was 16 and I just never really needed it. I know that's really weird, but I lived in Sydney up until, I don't know, maybe 22. And then I moved to Melbourne and in Melbourne, you don't need to drive as much. It's just a fact. And then when I moved back, it was in the middle of COVID and trying to get any appointments to like do your tests and stuff. It was too difficult. And then I don't know, I've never really needed it. I've also got a partner who seconds as my Uber driver. So that does help. Does it bother you that you haven't achieved what's considered sort of a milestone of adulthood by this stage? Like, in contrary to that, I actually think I'm more of an adult because I've been able to make the executive decision based on my own needs and wants and ideals on what is important to me and where my money and time should go. And that has never been my preferred place to put my time and energy. So I feel like it's more adult of me going against the grain. The statistics of younger Aussies staying at home for longer are now also well established. The 2019 Housing Income and Labor Dynamics Survey now tracks more than 17,000 people across 9,500 households and found young people living at home increased in both men and women, with more than 50% now staying with mum and dad or one parent well past their 20th birthdays. Like Maddie, who says it was just not even a thought for her. Well, I was 28 years old. And when I moved out of home, I actually moved in with my now husband, but he was my boyfriend at the time. We'd been together about a year. And I mean, in my mind, it wasn't a long time. It was perfectly normal to be living at home because I wasn't married and I had a great setup at home. Everything was there. The house had all the you know amenities that I needed and all the luxuries that I was accustomed to. And you save a lot of money when you live at home. And there was just no reason for me to move out any earlier. 
Did you ever feel bad while you're still living at home that you hadn't achieved that adult milestone of living by yourself? Strangely, no. And it might be a cultural thing because my background is Greek and a lot of the people that I grew up with, you just live at home until you get engaged and married. It's a little bit old-fashioned and traditional perhaps, but it was fairly normal for me. My husband, on the other hand, he thinks it's quite odd that I was 28 and still living at home because he moved out quite young. He was in his early 20s and you know moved around the country where he lived and even abroad at times for university. So he thinks it's really strange. But for me, it felt really normal. So is this slower entry into adulthood a problem or a smart strategy by younger Aussies to make the most of their situations? And who's responsible for this delay in reaching so-called adult milestones? There are some suggestions that it's their parents' style of raising them that has created this environment. Hyperconscious parenting has reportedly made a generation hypervigilant to danger and much less risk-averse than previous generations. That could also explain why this generation are less likely to drink alcohol or take drugs. Elizabeth Shaw is the CEO of Relationships Australia and a clinical and counselling psychologist. Elizabeth, do you agree that more modern styles of parenting are behind this generation's failure to launch, essentially? It's a very interesting concept, isn't it? Because so much of it is really referenced against the generation before. So it's often the generation before that stands in judgment of what's right and what's normal and what's expected. And so often any disappointment or worry comes from a self-referential position. And when we do that, we don't necessarily notice what are the group norms that are being established in the next generation? What does it mean as a reference point against their peers? you know, what is it that's emerging? So it's in the end less about us, you know, and then it is to do with, well, what are the messages that are out for generations now and what does it mean that there is greater diversity? And I think that is what's so interesting is that instead of it being perhaps in generations past that if you weren't married by 22, you might have looked like you were missing the boat. And, you know, now there's actually a real diversity. There's people who might be having their first relationship then, and it might be one of many. It might be a love match from high school. It might be a polyamorous exploration. I think what we're seeing now is more permission for a whole variety of possibilities. And that's actually really interesting that there could be acceptance on many levels for alternatives and possibilities that aren't needing to be judged. You've just made me realise that I'm one of the generations before who has stood in judgment. I had a conversation with a freshly minted 18-year-old not long ago who informed me they had never had a relationship and hadn't even kissed a person up to that point and I was shocked and stunned and (laughs) thought, you know, why are we leaving our relationship development so late? But I guess that was just because my generation still did that kind of stuff. We didn't get married until much, much later, but at least sort of explored those things much, much younger. Is there anything in the fact that those experiences aren't being had during those years where you are growing and sort of forming the person you are and your likes and dislikes if you aren't having, say, sexual or romantic relationships? Look, I think it's all about the confidence that you have because if you're secure in yourself, okay, well, I'm 18, 19, 20 and I haven't yet had a relationship, but, you know, my time will come and I'm kind of okay with that, you know, not anxiously or in an insecure way pursuing it 
then that is a really good thing, you know, because what we want is not a measure of what have you done or not done. It's more how are you in yourself? How's your identity? How's your confidence level? I think what we're seeing is that there is still, you know, a much stronger emphasis on you should have been doing something by 18. So often when someone does raise it, they're not, you know, desperate, but at the same time, they're very aware that their peers might be further advanced. And so, you know, I think it is important to consider, well, if you're not doing that and it is on your mind that maybe you are running behind, is there a way to be all right with that rather than perhaps dive into something just to catch up? Elizabeth, why do we find it so hard to accept that the next generation or the generation after will do things differently? I mean, even things like between mine and Gen Z, they're not drinking alcohol as much, they're staying at home for longer. For me, it feels like such a weird thing that they would not want to get out and start experiencing their life away from their parents much, much earlier. Why is it so hard to accept that generational change in the way young people act and advance? Well, I think, you know, perhaps what we fail to notice is, and, you know, I would hope this is the case, is that the parenting experience is actually better. So there's less to have to get away from. Now, this is not clearly always the case, but I think those really rigid generational boundaries where there really was something to separate from, you know, the sort of extreme conservatism, the extreme sort of rules, the compliance that you had to do, there was something to really rebel against. I mean, I think grown-ups have always wanted their kids to do what's similar, but in years past, you know, perhaps my parents, they had one relationship their whole lives whereas that wasn't my experience and it won't be my children's experience. So I think we're getting closer to something that's more in common. So I would hope there's less to get away from. And there's certainly now you can have kids whose partners move in or stay overnight or all sorts of things that once upon a time you would have had to leave home to have those experiences. So I think part of not needing to rebel or being able to stay home and mix it up a bit is because parenting has changed, not just that kids have changed. And I see that as a really good area of social progress because that, you know, needing to break out and break away came at a cost sometimes, didn't it? What about this idea that younger generations and Gen Z in particular are less likely to question or to argue against or argue for things because they've grown up in a culture where if you do, you may potentially be cancelled or you don't want to be considered divisive when they've been brought up in such a divisive atmosphere their whole lives. Do you think we're going to be missing out on a generation of people who don't question as much? Well, look, in some ways, I think we see youth being politically still as active. There were always groups who have led the charge around social activism and there's still a good, strong need to do that. There is also, I think, you know, there's plenty of research on this. We've also got young people who feel apathetic because they feel hopeless. The system's too big for them and they're just not confident that they can make a change. So we're sort of seeing both. But again, our education system's changed in that there's more teaching of critical thinking and there's more exposure to a broad range of social ideas and even literature than there would have been where you read the classic texts or you learnt, you know, very basic sort of skills for living. You know, I think a lot more is presented around social debate. And one of the great things about social media is you certainly can investigate an awful lot. You can also fall into silos where you're in an echo chamber of your own. So I think there's something in that which 
does provoke discussion and debate and challenging of norms. At the very least, young people are informed of different sorts of lifestyles. And if they do want to find something that's a better match for them, they have much greater chance of doing that. So there's an opportunity there for movements to take off in a way that was not easy to achieve in the past. Do you think there might be a bit of confusion between when people are talking about this slow life or failure to launch that includes data that says things like, you know, your average 18-year-old is more like a 14-year-old of the past, that we're misconstruing that with the maturity level of people from that generation, that they might not have hit the same milestones, but it doesn't mean they aren't as mature, if not more so than generations past? Yeah, I think it's an interesting thing about, you know, what launching even means now, because there was a lot of emphasis on leaving home and, you know, getting your first job. And certainly the leaving home piece has changed. But, you know, for my parents, leaving school and having your first job at 14 was extremely common. There's a whole lot of grandparents, that was their experience. The idea of finishing school wasn't high on the list. And of course, the generation before that, the concept of childhood altogether was extremely limited. So childhood itself is a relatively new social phenomena. So, you know, I think we have to be careful of the judgment that the failure to launch could equally be constructed as taking your time. And that can be time well spent because, you know, the data says that early marriages have a greater chance of failure. And we do know that when lives are very, very long now compared to even the generation before and the one before that, finding a career that will last the distance or even some of the distance, it does take time. These are not decisions made quickly. I think what we found is previous generations might have settled for something. You know, they were grateful to have a job, an ongoing job. And the standards have changed and the decisions are really big because you might be making a decision for 60 years. So the fact that they take a bit of time and maybe people don't really find their groove till their mid-20s or late-20s, we could also see that as a good thing, as a period of working yourself out, learning from experience, developing wisdom. If people are stalled, you know, as in they are stuck in their bedroom, stuck on the couch, they aren't using that as a try, test and learn phase. We have to be very careful with that group of people because they can get stuck there. When their peers race on with other growth experiences, those who are struggling with mental health and maybe struggling with finding their path, those are people who might need a lot more assistance to launch their way out of it. But for other people who've tried six or seven jobs and they've had two or three partners, we should see that as an interesting phase of safe experimentation that could help forge a really strong and pretty vibrant identity rather than see that as a failure. Delaying the launch of our adulthood does have some benefits, but always being on the lookout for every danger and using that as a reason for not moving on from adolescence is not ideal. But just because your generation did it differently doesn't mean that you did it right. As long as what's happening is, you know, interesting and important, then in a way, lucky them to work out something different. The Quickie is produced by myself, Claire Murphy, and our executive producer, Callie Borg, with audio production by Tom Lyon.